The following program is for informational and educational purposes only. This program does not replace medical, mental health, or psychological diagnosis and treatment prescribed by your personal physician, psychologist, therapist, or other health care provider. Please consult your provider for diagnosis and care before beginning or changing any program or idea discussed. Welcome to Psych Up Live with your host, Dr. Suzanne Phillips. This is the show that brings you a psychological perspective on common and current life issues. Here is Dr. Suzanne Phillips. Hi, folks. Hi, folks. Thanks for joining me again on Psych Up Live. Today, we're going to look closely at adolescent girls in our culture. Our guests are Dr. Mary Pfeiffer and Sarah Pfeiffer-Gilliam. They're going to draw upon their new updated version of reviving Orphelia, saving the selves of adolescent girls. They're going to compare for us adolescent girls of the 90s with the 13 to 18-year-old girls in middle school and high school today. Are the challenges and perils the same? Do teen girls of every generation worry about some of the same things? What about gender fluidity, racial diversity, and how about the impact of the Me Too movement? Have the parents changed? You may be surprised. Mary Pfeiffer is a therapist and clinical psychologist specializing in women, trauma, and the effects of our culture on mental health, which earned her the title of cultural therapist for her generation. She is the author of the first edition of Reviving Ophelia, which evolved from her concern for the number of female teens in her practice in the 1990s. She's also author of several best-selling books, including The Shelter of Each Other, Another Country, and Women Rowing North. She lives in Lincoln, Nebraska. Sarah Pfeiffer-Gilliam is a writer, editor, and global advocate for refugee families, as well as a former Fulbright scholar and middle school English teacher. She is the daughter and co-author with Mary Pfeiffer of the new edition of Reviving Ophelia. She's also the editor-in-chief of Exchange, an international magazine for early childhood professionals and educators. She comes to us from Hamilton, Ontario. Dr. Mary Pfeiffer and Sarah Pfeiffer-Gilliam, it is my privilege to welcome you both to Psych Up Live. Thank you we very much. delighted to please, be here. Okay. Please just call us Mary and Sarah. We like okay, that. Okay, Mary and Sarah. Mary, what made you do an update, a revision of the original Reviving Ophelia? Well, actually, that thought of revising the 1994 vision didn't even come to me. It came to Sarah while she was taking a shower. And she just thought the book was a good book when it was written, and it was worthy of staying in the um, canon and being useful to a new generation of girls. But to do that, we needed to bring out an edition that had new interviews, focus groups, and research, and wrote about girls today. So Sarah had the original idea. My editor uh, liked it very much. My agent liked it very much. And so we started what we thought would be rather a small project, and it turned out to be uh, 18 months, very difficult project with a lot of... I think now, you know the question, is it easier to repair a chair broken in 500 pieces or to build a new chair. I think we almost would have been better off starting to write a new book because we, sure. we ended up taking out 30,000 words and putting in 30,000 new words. Okay. But we, we feel like it's fresh. Okay. Now, so your sources this time were focus groups, uh, interviews that, Sarah, you did with mothers, Ooh. children, guidance counselors, uh, the latest research, and this was interesting to me. Sarah, you sent, and Mary, you sent the book, the original book, to teenage girls today. And I thought to myself, and did they read it and really give you feedback? Oh, yeah. It was an incredible experience. We, I kind of put a, cast, a casting call out through, through social media on my own saying, hey, I'm looking for sharp, bright girls who like to read around the country from different backgrounds, for a little project, and then what we did is we sent the actual original paperback reviving Ophelia to these girls, and we asked them to go bananas. We asked them to take a Sharpie and X out sections that didn't feel relevant to them to write and say, 
this doesn't apply to me and my friends or this, this doesn't feel familiar to me. And then likewise, to mark up with margin notes to us directly, what's missing? What, what stories would you like us to tell? What kinds of 2019 girls aren't reflected in these pages? And what, what themes in your life or challenges in your life do we need to address? And I'm sure we'll touch on this quite a bit throughout this, this interview, but let me just say that the, the big takeaway from that was social media, social media, social media. They wrote it in every chapter, and we realized that's when we started to kind of put together, you know, social media and the online world really have impacts on every single aspect of adolescent development. Yes, Yes. Okay, so just jumping off from that, Sarah, you were an adolescent in the 90s, um, and you have you have a niece who's right now an adolescent. So give our listeners a little bit of a snapshot of who were those girls in the 90s, and how would we compare them with our girls of today? You bet. Well, we came up with kind of our... our are sounding words for the different generations that we talk about in the book, which actually begins with my mother's generation growing up in the 60s, then mine in the early 90s. And my generation of 90 girls, 90s girls were risk takers, and we were rebellious. Um, 93 was kind of the toughest year on record for teenage girls in terms of indices of mental health. Uh, there was a lot of drinking and drug use a lot of sexual activity, school refusal, a lot of trouble with eating disorders. It, it was a very difficult time to be an adolescent girl, which, of course, is a big reason why my mother decided to write the book that she did. Um, I would say that we were all fiercely independent. We kind of pushed up against dating rules or curfew rules. We wanted to get our driver's license. You know, I've been joking that I think we were all at the DMV at 8 o'clock the morning of our 16th birthday to get our driver's licenses. Uh, everyone in my group of friends got a job as soon as they were able. They wanted money to buy their own things or to save for college or to buy a car. Um, I think independence, risk-taking, it was, it was a real height of conflict between mothers and daughters. Uh, daughters tended to blame their mothers for everything that was going wrong in their life. Um, and so, it, you know, it was a time of... It was a time of tumult, I would say, for girls in our country, and that, that would include, to an extent, me and my friends. Mm-hmm. Now, if we look today, I've, I've been using as kind of my model, um, certainly my niece, but also a daughter of a friend of mine, because she goes to the same high school that I went to. So okay. she's leading sort of a similar life to me 25 years later. And she is close with her family, which is one thing we can talk about more, but the family unit has become much closer across the uh, last 25 years. She is much more likely to spend her weekend nights at home. She does a lot less with friends. She goes out a lot less. She's not working outside the home, and she was not in a hurry to get her driver's license. She's very focused on academics and on her ability to get into a good college and also to get scholarships to pay for college. Um, She has friends who are gay and lesbian, friends who are immigrants and refugees, friends from different ethnic backgrounds than she is. Uh, The phrase gender fluidity rolls across her tongue, and it's a concept that she's quite familiar with where, of course, that was not a term I had ever heard as a senior in high school back in 1994. Mm -hmm. Um, So we see a very different kind of girl now, and, of course, the statistic that really jumps out is that the typical high school student right now spends about nine hours a day on a device online. And Mm -hmm. that, of course, in no way reflects the hard landline that I had and used to talk to my friends on the phone for a couple hours in the evenings. You know, two things came to mind when I, as I hear you say it again and when I read the book, and that is, so my sons are a bit younger than you, but our babysitters were of your generation of the 90s teens, and I'm laughing now when I think of it, but... So one of them would hitch here. She had a nose ring and half of her head was shaved and the other part <laughs> had had zebra type of um, configuration. Um, she was very grunge and my boys loved her. Um, but mm. when I think now, what? She hitched? <laughs> you know, I think of some of the risk taking that this, this girl mm. did. They had, their, they had their own nickname for her. Now, on the other hand, I wanted you both to know that just in time for our show, this Monday, uh, the New York Times did a review of the latest HBO series on teens called Euphoria. And guess mm. what? Consistent with your findings, the title is 
getting teenagers wildly wrong. And mm. they, their position is, no matter what you see, teens of today are more cautious than they are rebellious. And Caution I think is that, the watchword. <laughs> yes, yeah, so so you it's it's confirmed over and over again. So mm. let's start looking at that social media piece. Mary, from your perspective, what part is social media and the need to stay connected playing in the caution and the is it mean good friendships? Does it create more anxiety? Yeah. Well, first of all, we have very good data about the effect of social media on girls' mental health. And after 1994, when uh, Reviving Ophelia came out, uh, girls started to do better. There was less troublesome at-risk behavior, and they also reported uh, being less depressed, less anxious, and so on. And that trend toward happier, better-adjusted um, girls who suffered less from, from uh serious mental health issues, continued up to 2007, the year the iPhone was invented, at which point all those graphs did a U-turn. And things have continued to go downhill since 2007. So, for example, compared to 2007, uh, suicide attempts were double the rate. Uh, this was a survey of emergency rooms done by Vanderbilt University. So we know that the iPhone and the uh, mental health of girls are linked to this kind of research. And one of the things that Sarah and I tried to do with this book is unpack why are they linked? What are the factors that cause girls who are using social media, and the more heavily girls use social media, the worse they look on indices mm-hmm. of mental health? Mm-hmm. What, are, what are the factors that are causing that? And one of the things we found out very rapidly is that social media affects every aspect of adolescent development. It affects physical, cognitive, emotional, sexual, relational, and that social media uh, uh, works against maturity, which is the goal of adolescence, to turn a child into an adult. And it has a strange effect in that, on one hand, girls spend very little time with each other. There's not as much dating. There's not much face-to-face contact between uh, adolescents outside of class. And I have a friend who's a teacher, and he said that it used to be the hallways of the school were so loud, you couldn't hear yourself think walking down a school hallway. Well, now, he said, uh, when you walk out after a class, the halls are dead silent because Mm. everybody's looking at their cell phone. So girls aren't talking, interacting face-to-face. And on the other hand, they're really never alone. Any little thing that comes up, and they can text, they can pick up a device and check things out online. So what they're not learning is how to build the inner architecture of the self, which is done by reflecting, by journaling, by time alone in nature, by going about one's day, interacting with the world and processing experience. And the other thing they aren't learning is how to manage stressful real-world events on their own. They're never on their own. And so one of the issues for that is that when girls hit college, they're extraordinarily anxious. And College uh, Health Association at this point is saying that 62% of all young women as they enter college report overwhelming anxiety and panic attacks. Mm -hmm. So one of the things we recommend, uh, Suzanne, for girls and their parents is that one way or another, they, uh, they find alone time. They have certain time of day where the phones aren't anywhere around, and they can meditate, they can think, they can do yoga, they can journal, they can take a walk in nature, they can write a poem, uh, but they have some time to experience inner processing and, and reflecting on, on who they are and, and who they want to be and what their experiences have been. And then another thing we encourage is parents to nudge this very cautious generation of girls toward facing some stressful situations on their own. And again, it's really important they calibrate that stress so that it's not so stressful girls go out and experience 
overwhelming or dangerous failure, of course. But it's stress such as saying to a girl, we want you to plan a family reunion with your grandparents and your cousins and your aunts and uncles. We want you to issue the invitation, invite everybody, get the date set up, and then go figure out how much food we need to buy, go buy it, and you prepare the meal. So that the girls getting experience like that. Or we want you to get a volunteer job where you're meeting all kinds of people, or we want you to go to work and work part-time, at least in the summer, because we want you to experience the real world and not the virtual world. You know, what you're saying makes so much sense when you think about you know, earlier generations, there was never a question that those things happened. And one of, one of the things, uh, I love your suggestions, but what I noticed is in, in terms of what you're saying with the screen time, the less screen time in some ways, the better. So let's say being in a sport is a good thing. You're going to make friends and you have some achievement and some goals. As you say, volunteer groups, this high school sends children to Nicaragua. When they're part of that group, it's good. When they're part of the theater group, it's good. When they're part of the choir, they all then are outside of their bedrooms doing something face-to-face with other kids. And that's what really levels out some of the toxicity of being in your bedroom wondering and worrying uh-oh, everybody is invited to Mary's party. I didn't get an invitation and going downhill because of that. So um, I'm love, but I'm loving that you're giving parents, you know, we all know in terms of mental health, small is big. Steps could be small, but they really start to move things along if parents have the idea and they can start to work with it. We're going to take a break. We're going to come right back and we're going to look closely at violence, sexuality, adding some of these wonderful suggestions as we go. You've been listening to Psych Up Live. We're speaking about today's adolescent girls with Dr. Mary Pfeiffer and Sarah Pfeiffer Gilliam. They're drawing upon their new updated version of Reviving Ophelia, Saving the Cells of Adolescent Girls. Stay with us. We have much more to say. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. We all know that today our country is in many ways run by vested interests, which have accumulated large amounts of power for themselves and at our expense. But this can be changed by recognizing the problems and then by adopting libertarian solutions to address them. Tune into All Rise, the Libertarian Way with Judge Jim Gray. Judge Gray and his guests will discuss the problem areas of today and then present solutions that result in a better world for ourselves and our children. Tune in Fridays at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern on Voice America Variety. Want an insider's pass to everything that goes on in Hollywood? Join Summer Helene every week for Behind the Scenes. Summer Helene is known as the Duchess of Hollywood because she knows the insiders, legends, and celebs and brings the stories, the gossip, and the backstage scoop. It's the real Hollywood, though. So this program is for adults only. Behind the Scenes can be heard live every Friday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you ever experienced the joy of living? Not just aspects of your life, but the true joy of life itself. Barry Shore has. You could call him an ambassador of joy. From a successful entrepreneur to becoming a quadriplegic due to a rare disease to his ongoing recovery through swimming and physical rehabilitation. Barry now presents his gifts to others as host of The Joy of Living. All you need to do is tune in. Listen live every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. 
are listening to Psych Up Live. Join in our conversation today by calling Dr. Suzanne Phillips or her guest at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Now, back to Psych Up Live. Welcome back, folks. We're, we're here at Psych Up Live, and we're speaking about adolescent girls with Dr. Mary Pfeiffer and Sarah Pfeiffer-Gilliam. Sarah, we were mentioning at the break, well, there's a reality here. Crime rates have actually decreased by 50% since 1993, let's say. Why so much anxiety about violence in young people, particularly teen girls? Well, that's a great question, and I, I think there are two answers. One, of course, is just our, our current 24-hour news cycle and the fact that with devices, we are much more aware, all of us, adults and children, of what's happening in the world, so that we've got middle and high schoolers paying attention to everything from global climate change to ISIS, you know, ISIS videos on YouTube to news stories about crime in their communities. We're just more plugged in, and our brains are not really equipped to handle this constant and incessant stream of news and information. And, of course, a great deal of that is, is anxiety-inducing. But I want to talk about something that, that emerged in our focus groups that really caught us off guard, um, and that was the, the really strong connection between rising anxiety levels in girls today and violence in schools and school shootings. And if you think about it, the original Reviving Ophelia was published in 1994, and then the Columbine shooting occurred in 1999. So that's, mm-hmm. that's happened in sort of this advent of our culture in which school shootings are really common. That's all happened since the original book was published. And so we had, when we were setting up our focus group structure, we had a question near the end that we sort of thought, if we have time, we'll get to this, in which we asked the girls that we met with, are you anxious about school shootings? Do you think about school shootings regularly? That kind of thing. And to be candid, we didn't really know what to expect. It was We were sort of feeling the water on that one. But what happened when we asked that question of middle school girls and of high school girls was that to a person, all of their hands shot up in the air, and they all said, I'm terrified. I'm terrified. Mm-hmm. Just because it hasn't happened in Nebraska doesn't mean it can't. When I saw what happened at Parkland, I thought, is my school next? They all had strangely nuanced understanding of the failings of their home school's security systems. You know, they knew which door doesn't lock behind you like it's Mm -hmm. supposed to. They knew where the secure entrance monitor sat and which classrooms were more vulnerable. So they had actually spent a great deal of time thinking about their safety and security. And we talked to one young woman who's a freshman in college, and she said, She's really scared every time she walks into one of her big intro-level survey classes with three to 500 students. She's thinking, does someone in here have a gun in their backpack? So I think that um, girls are living with this kind of undercurrent of fear that's been with them since they went to kindergarten and started doing active shooter drills. And so while we have maybe seen some of these indices of violent crime in the U.S. actually on the decrease, I think this hyper-awareness of all the bad things that are happening in our country and our world And then the fact that we have school shootings, which are a type of violent crime that disproportionately affects children, I think those two things are really working together to create an anxious generation of teenage girls. And when you think about what you're saying, if we put ourselves in the girl's shoes, so if you think you're living in a war zone where you potentially could be killed off by a shooting, you are in a hyper-aroused state. You're in a fight-flight state. That state's incompatible with cognitive functioning, memory. So then yeah. there's the ang- then throw in the anxiety about getting into the right school, and they're straining against a hyper-aroused physiology that's making the situation nightmarish for them. That's Absolutely. right. And um, so, we know, for example, there wasn't a chapter on anxiety in the original Reviving Ophelia, and we added, we rewrote, uh, or we wrote a new chapter on anxiety, and we know that the National uh, Education Association has labeled um, a mental health anxiety, a mental health tsunami. Um, Now, at this point, pediatricians are being educated to ask about social 
media with teenagers because it's Great. so directly related to health, anxiety, etc. Mm. So let, let's go into the anxiety about sexuality and the reality of the numbers of kids who are sexually active as opposed to everyone thinking that everybody else is sexually active. Yeah. What, what, what can you add in on that, Mary? Yeah. Well, first of all... Um, we looked at the research, so we have a research base for, for what I'm going to say. The other thing is, when I wrote Reviving Ophelia, I mean, I was a therapist, so I've seen a lot of girls who were coming in because they had uh, problems as a result of their sexual activity. That A lot of girls were suffering from STDs or were pregnant, or there were high level of sexual assaults at that time. Level of sexual assaults uh, has actually dropped for women and girls. Uh, since 1994. But there is a very strange sexuality uh, at this point for adolescents. And I don't think I can summarize it in a few minutes, but let me just tell you a few things that, that we are very aware of. One is there's not much dating at all. The number of girls who've gone out on a date is is just way, way down. And, you know, when I was in high school in the early 60s, almost everybody went on dates. And, you know, you'd go to a movie and you'd hold hands and then the boy'd walk you home or drive you home, depending on his age. And and you'd kiss at the door or you'd make out a little bit in the driveway and, and that was a date. And it was just, most girls went on dates. It was just a part of life. Now, it, when we were doing our focus groups, Many of the young women we talked to, even if they were seniors in high school, never been on a date. So there's a kind of a sad thing that mm-hmm. girls aren't even kissing by the time they're 18. And this isn't just uh, religious girls involved with the purity movement. This is, is progressive girls, ordinary mainstream girls. And I think why girls aren't dating is that the whole area is so fraught with tension. And I think there's several reasons for that. One is um, the media is so sexualized in violence that girls are really afraid of getting near that kind of an experience. Um, You know, violence is rampant on TV. There was some talk when Netflix brought out this year's programs that the violence was so over the top and how Mm -hmm. could that be good for society? But of course, uh, women are very sexualized in almost all the media in which they're presented. And there's enormous amount of pornography. The really sad thing is about teenagers, both young men and young women, is they're far more likely to have a great deal of experience with pornography uh, than they are to have held hands by the time they're 15 years old. So think about that. Yeah, when we think about... Yes, because it's unrealistic to do this to young people. It's terrifying. And I want to add something which fits so well. We did a lot, a number of shows on the hookup culture, and what Mm. was so interesting is one of my first shows, she was describing the hookup culture at an Ivy League school, and she met with young men and young women separately. When the men were interviewed in a group, everyone was, yeah, great, well, hookup. When she met with them separately, they said, I don't like anything about it. I just want to. Mm-hmm. I just want to go out on a date. Now there was one mm-hmm. professor in sociology who had a class on dating where the assignment was to go out on one date. The class was packed, over-registered, under the mm-hmm. guise of the assignment they were going to do. Mary, just what you said. They had absolutely no experience in high school. So that's right. Was, and so, so what then, happens then with college is hookup culture. Either girls continue to avoid young men or hookup culture, or of course some healthy girls and are managed to get into a a relationship and start to learn the things that Sarah and I were learning when we were thirteen. Well, the the piece about that is sadly some of the girls who've never been on a date and want to be part of the scene prepare for the fraternity party by being drunk. That's the only way. And then we have so much suffering and um, regrets about what unfolds, date rate, et cetera. Mm. But in high school, I I think I hear just what you folks are saying. Mm. They've been so traumatized by what they've seen, the exposure on TV. Every one of them in some way has been exposed to porn. The boys are just Mm. as anxious. 
And sadly, mm-hmm. they sometimes look at porn as a sex ed type of um, possibility, which is terrifies them and puts them in a terrible position in dealing with young girls. So it's really, when we talk about the online situation and the cell phones, it really does impede normal functioning. Mm-hmm. A, couple You're things, right. a couple of things I would add to that. One, one that's interesting is that a number of the girls that we interviewed or, or talked to in our focus groups seemed very wistful for what they kind of referred to as the old-timey practice of dating. And it's that your, your classroom story, I think, really speaks to that as well. Of I just wish I lived in a, a system or a culture that, that suggested that we go on dates again like you used to in the 50s, you know, where there's, there's not necessarily pressure. There's not necessarily the pressure to have sex. It's about going out with a boy or a girl and holding hands and seeing your friends in public, and maybe it ends with a kiss at the end of the night and maybe it doesn't, but it's not this all-or-nothing proposition. And then another thing that um, really feeds into this as well is, is, once again, this element of online culture. So every girl that we talked to knew someone who had had nude photos of herself spread around. So wow. maybe you have a girl who's a little bit more, you know, call it confident, call it edgy, however you want to describe this girl, but at some point sends some photos to someone that she's interested in romantically or sends photos as a joke, and then now they're making the rounds of the school community or the, the entire town. So there is, and then of course we've also seen these high-profile cases of sexual assaults that have been recorded and then released online for, for the world to see or the school community to see. So I think that's just one more layer that makes young people today really fearful about dating and relationships is will this be documented or will, will this live forever online and will any mistake that I make follow me and haunt me for years to come? Mm. I've had parents worried because they have found their teen girl sexting or receiving a text from someone. And that's actually more common than them actually being sexually involved with someone. But as you mm-hmm. say, they're, they're kids. They don't get the ramifications. They don't understand about things not being able to be taken off. So it becomes then... Um, oh, if they, someone starts bullying or cyberbullying them, then we're close to desperation for some children, and we worry about the increased suicide rate. Mm. You know, I wanted to say something else. We're talking about uh, teenagers being together, dating. But they're actually not together for any reason. And one of the big recommendations we have in our book is that one way to make the world a better place for teenagers like overnight is to have all kinds of ways, parents, schools, community groups, whatever, where you're facilitating teenagers getting together face-to-face and having conversations with each other and holding a pizza party with with lemonades and telling your daughter, uh, invite all your friends over and have a pizza party with no cell phones. Because one of the really sad things about this generation is they they don't tend to know how to have conversations. They're afraid to take face-to-face interpersonal risks, even to ask a friend to get together. Mm -hmm. So that is a, a really good and important thing parents can do. The other thing in terms of identity building that's very important is we don't build an identity unless we have some time alone. So anything that helps girls have some time alone to think and reflect is, is very important for them in terms of, of starting to build a true self as opposed to the, the uh, online self, which is uh, prettier, more interesting, more popular, and more exciting than the real self. And what happens as is girls spend you know, six to nine hours a day creating a virtual self, their true self is not developing at all. Mm-hmm. And the, the distance between who they really are and how they feel inside and the virtual self they're presenting to the world is really a long distance and is mm-hmm. very, very difficult for girls. So we, we really encourage any kind of activity that can help girls develop a true, authentic self, which you do by being alone and by being with other people, not by being online. I think it's so helpful for parents to hear this because in one case, the dad, this is a divorce situation, the dad was upset that his daughter didn't want to go out with some kids on a Saturday night. 
And her answer was, I don't like that crowd. Um, I like my soccer friends. And so, in fact, she would rather be in her own room. But for her birthday, she wanted the whole soccer team to come, which... uh, he thought was great, but he kept thinking, should it be boys and girls? So it, it's interesting but important that parents know a few wonderful friends may be all a kid needs. And, of course, mm-hmm. they would at time want, as you say, Mary, they want some time to reflect. And they also need time to sleep. I think one of the things mm-hmm. Jean Twain mm-hmm. was saying in terms of depression is they're sleeping with the phones you can't sleep with a phone and get a good night's sleep. So sleep deprivation is one of our problems, too. Absolutely. A very easy go-to solution is agree as a family that all devices live in the kitchen charging overnight. Yeah. Um, Because you're exactly right. A teenager's bedroom should be rest for rest and sleep, maybe a little reading or a little homework. But essentially, they have one important job to do in that bedroom, and that's get the sleep that they need to be mentally and physically healthy. And so that's a very easy starting point and not usually a particularly tough battle to pick with your children to say, okay, lights out at 10 p.m. and the phone lives here until you come down for breakfast in the morning. So in one case, the teenager says, I think my friend is very suicidal. I need to be online to handle it. And the mom wisely said, give your friend my phone number. Mm-hmm. And if she needs, I'll be the one to wake up, and then I'll wake you up. You don't mm-hmm. have to be on call. So that, you know, we really, the drama gets big. Sometimes it's very realistic. But we really mm-hmm. do need parents to know pushing it for those phones to be out of the room is enormous on many counts. You know, Absolutely. one of the focus group girls we had said to us, I am so tired of putting suicide apps on my phone. Suicide prevention apps. Very big. <laughs> Let's clarify problem. suicide prevention apps. Yeah. 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 Right. Okay. And um, it's a very big problem. And one of the sad things is girls are depressed, they're anxious, they're harming themselves, and they're um, uh, thinking of suicide and they're fearful of violence. And they're, for the most part, not talking to parents about this. They're texting their friends, right. and they're trying to help their friends with their mental health crises. And, you know, this goes down as young as, you know, 10, 11-year-old girls trying to help a friend who's suicidal or I'm, I'm really, really stop. needs adult right. intervention. So I, th- I think it's very important for parents to be... One of the things Sarah and I observed was I'm that... I'm going to stop you. Wait, uh, Mary, I'm going to stop you. Mom, to Mom I think she needs to stop you for a break. We're going to sure. stop. Okay, sorry. Just cut that wherever and then start later. Sorry, okay. sorry. Mary, um, we're going to come right back. We're going to talk about what you were mentioning, the kids being on call. And we're going to talk about what's the same about adolescence mm-hmm. then and now. Stay with us. You've been listening to Psych Up Live. We're here with Mary Pfeiffer and Sarah Pfeiffer-Gilliam. They're the authors of the new revised book, Reviving Ophelia, Saving the Lives of Adolescent Girls. Stay with us. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Are you or someone you know interested in attending college? With both college tuition and college enrollment up 60% since 2002, there is a lot of competition, and careful planning needs to be a part of the process. Tune in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. Hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and featuring a team of college coach experts, we'll bring you the tips, techniques, and know-how to navigate the road to college and do so the smart way. Listen live every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you found the beauty inside of you? Join Bonnie Bonadeo each week for Beauty Inside and Out. We'll explain how beauty plays a part in everybody's lives. Our guests are makeup artists, hairdressers, and doctors. But we'll also feature holistic and wellness specialists and spiritual advisors. You can find that beauty inside and express it to its fullest on the outside. Tune in to Beauty Inside and Out every Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. 
Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to Psych Up Live. Join in our conversation today by calling Dr. Suzanne Phillips or her guest at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Now, back to Psych Up Live. Welcome back to Psych Up Live. We're speaking about adolescent girls today. We're comparing them with girls back in the 90s. We're with Dr. Mary Pfeiffer and Sarah Pfeiffer-Gilliam. Their new book is Reviving Ophelia, Saving the Selves of Adolescent Girls. It's the revised edition. So let's ask the big question. What's the same, Mary, between girls in the 90s, as Sarah was one of those girls in the 90s, and and young women today? What are some of the same challenges they face? Well, in terms of challenges, I I think girls are still very concerned about appearance and about uh, being pleasing. Uh, Right now, I think they're quite concerned about grades. That's new. But uh, for the most part, I think girls are the most the same when you look at their needs. And the, the needs of girls have not changed one bit since I was a girl or since 1994. And, and the needs that girls have are to be respected, to be useful, to learn the skills required to be a functional adult in our culture, to be loved, and to be um, developing in moral imagination, and to be useful. So if we focus on the needs of girls and how we can meet those needs, we're already asking much better questions of ourselves than the culture is currently tending to ask. Okay. So one of the things, whether a youngster is part of a team and feels needed or not, some people or some young teens, and you know this from your practice, and I've seen it over the years, are still worried, thanks to the social media, that they're too heavy, they're not perfect. How shall a parent approach that, Mary? Well, you know, that is a very difficult problem because parents uh, actually generally tend to be very skillful at how they approach this already. I mean, most parents tell their children they love them for who they are. Uh, Most parents try very hard to have healthy food available and and limit sweets and um, unhealthy snacks and so on. Of course, it's great if parents have... Uh, a lot of time outdoors and exercising with their children. But parents aren't the issue. The issue is peers and the issue is media. And you can tell a daughter who's struggling with weight that it doesn't matter how much she weighs, that what you really want her to know is that she's a lovely human being. But when she goes to school, she's like to run into someone who says, move your fat ass or calls her a name for being heavy. Right, right. And when she looks on social media, she's going to see all these images of slender girls, and she's going to hear really slender girls going, oh, I'm so fat. And if she weighs 35 pounds more than those girls, she's going to think, wow, if you think you're fat, what about me? My granddaughter Kate told me that when she goes to a football game, she said she knows that there's a lot of the boys watching the cheerleaders, but she said, I can guarantee you every girl is watching the cheerleaders because they're all comparing the cheerleader's body to their own and feeling like I'm wanting, you know, I don't have a great body like that. One of the movie stars, or maybe she was one of the singers, I loved this. She came online and she said, you know the picture you see of me on the magazine? That's not me. 
That's mm-hmm. airbrushed. That'll yes. never be me. I don't have legs like that. I don't look like that. But you're right that they are extremely attuned to that. Now, let's just add in our conversation in the interest of time. How about diversity? How is this group of teen girls handling diversity, gender diversity? Sarah, what would you say? Well, this is a place where I feel like we have really positive news to share, which is probably good because we've been hitting you <laughs> with some heavy stuff for these right. last few minutes. Um, but we were really impressed with and inspired by the open-mindedness of today's teenagers in general. Of course, again, we were speaking with girls, but I think that this, this is a through line for teenagers in general. And just as a couple examples... When I was in high school, I went to the largest, most diverse high school in the state of Nebraska. Um, We had about 2,400 students. I graduated in 1994, and when I graduated, I would say that there were five to six out-of-the-closet gay students at our school, and they took quite a bit of heat and quite a bit of bullying for being out of the closet. And, you know, and we we came up with, at that time, a very early iteration of a gay-straight alliance, but there just wasn't much support for that kind of thinking or open-mindedness. And so if you compare that today, where you've got many more young people who feel comfortable coming out, who feel supported by their peers and their teachers, um, where the phrase gender fluidity or transgender trips off the tongue, a lot of the girls that we interviewed have a a friend who is trans or a friend who identifies as non-binary. You know, the language is changing quickly. This topic is evolving very quickly. But I think that it's going to be young people who are leading the way um, when it comes to sexuality and sexual orientation and really modeling an acceptance and an open-mindedness. And then likewise, there's much more awareness of um, racial justice and social justice issues. Again, this isn't to, to, you know, to speak poorly of girls of past generations, but this is actually one place where I think social media has been really effective and exciting is that it's allowing young people who maybe feel politically disaffected or feel that adults don't speak for them. And this is girls across the political spectrum. Um, it's allowed them to find their peers in other states or other countries and to organize around causes that they believe in, be it gun violence or um, a lot of girls, more conservative girls are real involved in anti-sex trafficking. There's a group called I've Got a Name. Um, people across all party lines are organizing around climate change. And so I feel like sort of an awareness of even if I live in Nebraska and I'm sort of a middle class girl growing up in Nebraska, I'm part of a global, rich, diverse community and I have a role to play in shaping that community into being the kind of world that I want to live in. It it really, I'm loving it because it also speaks to us reminding all of our listeners of the wonderful potential of these teen girls Mm. in in the Mm. present moment. And they are struggling and tripping over what's constantly on their screen. But on the other hand, maybe they are getting and internalizing a wonderful message about other people and needs. And as Mary, you were saying before, when you have that as a goal, you, you really have a sense of agency. If you can make something happen, mm-hmm. if, you, if you can bring another kid to a counselor, if you're the one who tells your parents that your brother is gay but he doesn't know how to tell them, those are great things. Absolutely. That's right. That's absolutely right. Yeah. And, you know, Sarah and I chose to write about girls because we love girls. We both had a lot of experience working with teenage girls. And the positive thing is they're they're full of energy and enthusiasm and um, delightful to talk honestly and sincerely about their lives. I mean, one of the things that struck us when we had focus groups in my living room was how much the girls welcomed a chance to really open up and have serious, deep conversations about what Mm. their experience of the world was. And many of the girls said when they left, I wish we could do this again, or I wish we Uh. could come back. So we know that there's there's a deep felt need on the part of girls to find places where they can get together with a, a caring adults and have mediated conversations about what's really going on in their lives. That's great. It's great for our parents to hear that also. So if you were to give us a take-home message to our parents, Sarah, what would you give? Okay, my message is get online with your daughter. 
it's going to be an awkward conversation to bring up. There's going to be some nervous laughter. Sit side by side and say, show me your Instagram feed. Who do you follow and why? What is an Instagram influencer? Why do you follow this person? Why are they inspiring to you? What kind of pictures do your friends post? How does TikTok work? Because if girls are online an average of six to nine hours a day and their parents don't really have this tangible understanding of what their daughters are seeing and doing online, they are missing out on an enormous opportunity to be close to their daughters and to really understand the context that they're living in today. So broach those conversations, sit down together, talk through images, talk through the banner ads, the pornography that may pop up when they're looking at a completely innocuous social right. media site or web page, and have those, have those vital conversations about how what they are seeing and doing online fits into the bigger picture of your family's values and goals. Mm. And how about you, Mary, really quick? I would say the, the duty of parents is to connect their children to what is good and beautiful and to protect them from what's noxious and harmful. Okay. And each family gets to decide those things for themselves. All right. Um, and Sarah, I, I, I want our listeners to know I asked Sarah to read the dedication of this book because I think it's so special. The dedication of their new revised book of Reviving Ophelia. Go ahead, Sarah. Okay. To the rebels and the shy girls, the activists and the poets, the big sisters and the little sisters, the daughters and dreamers, we believe in you. It's a precious message. Now, how can people find your book? Uh, the new everywhere. edition of Reviving Ophelia is in your favorite independent bookstore or your favorite online bookseller. And you can follow both Mary Pfeiffer and Sarah Gilliam on Facebook. Terrific. We're going to have to stop. I want to thank both of you, Mary Pfeiffer and Sarah Pfeiffer-Gilliam, for really inviting us to understand, protect, foster the resilience, and mostly celebrate the emerging selves Mm. of our adolescent girls. They're precious. Absolutely. It's been a real honor to talk with you today. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you so much. You're so welcome. Thanks again. I want to thank my listeners. Remember, you can hear this and any prior show as a podcast. This will be a podcast by 6.30 p.m. Eastern. It'll be on my host site. It'll be on my website, on the podcast app of your iPhone, on iTunes, Sketcher, just about everywhere we can put it. It'll be be on both of your sites if you would like it. Mostly, though, feel free to drop me a comment or question at radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Until next week, please take care. Thanks, and be listening. Thank you for tuning in to Psych Up Live. Please join Dr. Suzanne Phillips for another edition of our programming next Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until then, be well and be listening. Thank you.